Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash improv noise. Over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Titles such as The Best of Second City, featuring the best sketches in Second City history, and Bossy Pants, Tina Fey's autobiography narrated by Tina Fey herself. This is Improv Noise. And in order to get started, we need a suggestion of something you can't be. This week we're sitting with Upright Citizens Brigade co-founder Matt Besser. Enjoy. So um, you improvise all the time, like uh, improv for humans, right? It's like your jam. That is my jam. Tight, tight. <laughs> Have we begun? Is yeah, this it? conversation. We'll just go for it. Yeah. <laughs> You're in the world now. <laughs> yeah. All right, so. I do uh, improv for humans at least once a week. We tape for about an hour 45, and then it gets edited down to like an hour 20, hour 15. Oh, that's not bad. That's... And I do Ask Cat. There's two Ask Cats a week, and I usually do at least one of them. Mm-hmm. So pretty rigorous schedule. Um, are you being sarcastic? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> How many do you do? Not that. Uh, maybe like three, <laughs> three or four. Uh-huh. Uh, Basement shows, yeah. <laughs> 15 minute basement shows. Yeah, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah, and LA Ask Cats also, it's on Saturday and Sunday, right? We're here in New York just on Sunday. Isn't yes. there one on Saturday and the one, yep. two, on, two on Sunday? Yes, or, indeed. Uh, yeah. Nice. Cool, cool. Um, oh, and I wanted to ask, though, so when you are improvising, are you actively like thinking about anything? Are you, what are you currently thinking about when you do it? What do you mean by that? Like what Once is, I'm improvising? Yeah. I like I'm trying to get like insight into the, your current process. Mm-hmm. But I don't understand your question yet. Sure. So when I'm improvising, what do you mean? Am I thinking about stuff outside of improv, or what's my process? What's your process and technique? Huh? Where do I begin? I wrote a whole book about it. Check <laughs> <Yeah>. it out. <laughs> Twelve month anniversary, right? This came out last year. Yeah. yeah, I did. As a matter of fact. Thanks nice. for recognizing. I haven't thought of it that way. It's yeah. like a baby. It's old. It's slightly older than my real baby. <laughs> Congratulations on that. Thank you very much. I mean, t- that's a pretty general question for a process that takes <laughs> years to to learn. I don't know how to start with that. I mean, improv for humans is we take a suggestion, or the simplest way we do it is we take a, tw- a suggestion off of Twitter that inspires a conversation. During that conversation, it's generally humorous, and when you're laughing, what are you laughing at? You're either laughing at kind of the overall point of the story, the general reason the story is funny, or you're laughing at some detail within the story. So I guess I'm kind of flagging those details. Mm Mm-hmm. As the story's being told, and something's going to stick with me, there's going to be something I'm like, that's what I want to explore. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, the other guys are doing that too. And usually, whoever's the most inspired by the story kind of usually initiates first. That's just the way it goes. And it's uh, that's why it's so easy too. It's like we got four people sitting there, and one of them 
is certainly going to be inspired by a funny story. We're only going to do one scene off of it because that's the nature of my format. Versus ASCAT, I guess, is you're going to do three or four scenes, so you mm-hmm. better have a few ideas ready. Then once the scene starts, my process is how can my first line convey to my partner what I thought was funny from the story and what I think we could explore together. And then we go from there. Then you explore it. Then we heighten and explore it, yeah. (laughs) Do you have any... So with ASCAD, it's a monologue to about three or four scenes, right? And then another monologue, so forth. Mm -hmm. Or not necessarily monologue. You've done musical. uh, You've had uh, bands on and guests. uh, Mm -hmm. But uh, versus Improv for Humans, where like uh, every now and then you get a YouTube clip or someone will call in their best story Mm -hmm. or or there'll be, um, you know, just stories off a word. uh, What uh, When when pulling one idea from a story versus three or four ideas from some sort of premise, I should say, as opposed to a story, is that do you ever feel like that was like that's a really fun premise idea but then another idea gets initiated and you feel it wasn't maybe the strongest idea out of that definitely probably every single one of them (laughs) but i don't think that's so negative like there's there's certain ones where i'm like oh wow that that one thing was so rich and you chose to focus on that one detail Right. And that'll never happen in an ASCAC because everyone will get their chance. Mm-hmm. But also in Improv for Humans, I will sometimes do two scenes off of a suggestion and you never hear the one that gets cut. Mm-hmm. So, and sometimes that detail will be, will just inspire something that's more organic improv. It's more, it's a little more organic and a little less if you've read the book, it's more of a half idea than a full idea. And it's just really funny just for some other reason. But but it is a shame, and I always think it's a shame when an audience in particular live hears a story. Like, there's there's good storytellers and there's great storytellers. And there's people with entertaining stories and there's people with stories where you're like, wow, that person has a really... A lot of life experience and some wisdom and they told that you know and when you hear a story like that and then we focus on some silly detail instead of like the overall point it almost seems shallow like Mm -hmm. don't you see how we could have both been funny and (laughs) artful by just going with the magic that the monologist already started us on that you know they're part of the they're part of the experience too so yeah, it's almost like doing disservice to that story by like following something that's like a small detail that's mm-hmm. flashy. But once again, in ASCAT or any kind of form, a herald, you know, in a herald, you have th- three different opportunities to pursue that idea. If all three scenes ignore like the biggest idea, that's weird. One, because because I think the audience will be going, but what about whether they know they're doing it or not? I think it's some part of their brain they're saying what about that thing that this is all about and was so funny and we're kind of ignoring that mm-hmm. uh so you've done i can imagine you've pulled uh, uh you've done more uh pulling from stories or pulling from premise than anyone in improv <laughs> that's probably a true fact i can imagine is there anything that uh is there have you ever had an ascat that really stuck out that was really quite powerful to you that you've of all the ascats you've done Huh. For that reason, we like that was not only just incredibly funny, but really artful because the stories were, or the the prep, it was just so honest, or there was something with. 
Well, there there have you know, it's it, more than me being able to recount the show. There's certain monologist who, like I was saying, have more life experience and like. Because you'll hear after you've heard so many monologues, you feel like a lot of people have the same stories that a lot of us have. You know, like I get tired of hearing the my first drug mushroom trip (laughs) story. Right, right. Jesus. And it seems to come out like every 20th monologue is like that. Hmm. And there's other typical ones. And not that I don't have my own my first trip story, but. And you'll hear stories that are that are like, oh, I've never been there, and I can't imagine, and that's fascinating. Um, Patty Schemmel, who drummed for Hole, Steve Albini, who not only has a lot of life experience, but has really hard opinions on things, isn't afraid to share them. Ian MacKay. I'm listing all these musicians. Mm-hmm. I guess it's because mm-hmm. they have... These epic lives have nothing to do with comedy versus hearing from comedians who kind of have the same stories, the same life experiences. Um, and then there's really and there's comedians like Jen Kirkman is a great storyteller and uh, someone who just started doing it with us. Beth Stelling, they just they're just better at telling stories. Like I think I'm okay. I can do a good ass cat monologue, but. I don't think my stories are worthy of sitting in uh, one woman show ish kind of storytelling like and and some people are some people are just better at that David Rakoff who passed away recently mm. was an unbelievable storyteller not only a good storyteller but such a smart guy his storytelling was like reading a New Yorker article it's just uh, <laughs> you're learning stuff and words you never use and just amazing interesting do you what what do you think separates that between good and great storytelling is it the details is it the ability to like uh describe different emotional situations that may be unique what do you think um, well besides is? what i just said about life experience i guess and yeah knowing like i think that's my flaw is details in, in storytelling or not remembering to say or are not being as eloquent. Like some people are just more eloquent and just coming up with references, just period. Oh, God. Um, but that's, but that's not the only kind of good story. You, I think there's, I remember when I was a kid, probably around 12, my dad, we were on vacation and uh, this place, a lot of other couples they knew went to. And there's this one adult who just told jokes better than the other ones. And he was like, you know, and I was a kid and liked jokes. He's like, "Well, what jokes you got?" And I'm, you know, whatever. Like, why did the robber take a bath uh, to get a clean getaway? You know, mm-hmm. like a little riddle kind of joke. Mm-hmm. He could take a joke that was that short and make it like five minutes long. <laughs> you know, uh, so this old boy, he's a criminal. He's coming around, and uh, everybody in town knows. Him. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he would just get that grip in you. He could make a corny joke sound like he's telling a real story from his life. And just by taking his time with it. So by the time it's the punchline, you're invested in it. And it was a lesson as a kid of like, oh, I get it. There's telling a joke and there's telling a joke. Right. And the same thing with story. New improvisers, when they tell stories, sometimes the stories are like three lines long. You're like, okay, Mm. back up. Where were you? How old were you? Who were you with? 
you know, set the scene. Mm-hmm. If you ever talk to an audience who aren't performers at all, their stories are like, you don't even understand what's going on. <laughs> they, they almost start at the end of the story and you're like, wait a minute, what? What happened? <laughs> so it's, it's, you know, for a performer, it's definitely a thing where you, you can get to a certain, you can by taking classes and rehearsing and doing it a lot, become better at it. But then there's another level that it's just only certain people are achieved because they're just really good at it. Yeah. And storytelling lately, too, I think has become, I mean, maybe it's for a while, but it's becoming a bigger and bigger yeah, thing. Yeah, it's so hot right now. Yeah, Moth podcast and all sorts of various different things and like meeting and yada, yada, yada. It's becoming like a new sort of performance, um, maybe a bigger one, I should say, than, than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong about that, though. To get uh, your stories, everybody. <laughs> uh, cool. If I can switch gears for two quick seconds, mm-hmm. um, uh, it, you, you've been you taught for years. You taught at, in Chicago, right? You taught in New York. You've taught in LA. You've had lots of students. Is there um, what? Uh, as, as, have the students changed at all over the years? Have you taught them? Have they pretty much been the same? Have you noticed have any sort of shifts? Have they gotten? Has everyone gotten taller to the food that everyone's eating? Yeah, you know? if you look at the architecture, old buildings, the doors, they're smaller for some mm-hmm. reason, and the desks and schools. Um, let's see. Well, there's more. So, it's weird, because when we came to New York, it was different than how it was in Chicago, because in Chicago, that was already an improv city. Mm-hmm. People are moving there literally just to do improv classes. When I started, I didn't even know what it was till I moved to the city, so it wasn't like some national thing everyone was talking about. It wasn't like that. But a lot of people knew about Second City and thought of that as a path to SNL. So it was, it was very active that way. Um... I don't know. Hmm. I I feel like in when we got to New York, it was more no one knew about long form improv really, or they thought they did, but they just really weren't doing it the way Dell taught us. So our first round of students were all people who were really proficient, great comedians in their own rights already, like Sean Conroy or Andy Daly. You list a lot of people, but mm. uh, so they they didn't have to learn how to be comedians in our theater, but they definitely were picking up the skills of long form improv. Whereas the next the next round of students was more people who had never done comedy or improv, mm-hmm. so they're a little bit more newbie in a way, and uh, you know just less further along down that road, right. And then probably the third generation was starting to be a mix of people now moving here to join our theater. And mm-hmm. so, uh, and I don't really teach now. I just do workshops every once in a while. I'm trying to, as I sit here, I'm just trying to think if there's any difference I can think of. I mean, obviously everyone's more savvy, but also what's happened is more theaters, more schools, more cities, and more theories and people not being on the same page about the mm-hmm. way they improvise. Whereas when we, were, I was doing it, that was Del Close was the world and what he said was the world of long-form improv, period. Mm-hmm. And to think, oh, there's another way to do it, I wouldn't even have thought of that. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, I don't know. And now there are so many different ways I just completely disagree with or, <laughs> right. or I just don't understand at all. Um, and there were back then too, I guess I just didn't think about them as much like impro. I know Dell wasn't into it all mm. disagreed with, but I didn't really think about it. Mm. It's not really in the, the States. Impro is kind of a Canadian English thing anyways. Yeah, there are actually some people that do it. I've, kind of toured the country and did a lot of workshops and it's a book that's out there and some people experiment with it right what uh, if you uh, and did you teach in the earlier days of LA the early LA days or I did yeah what was that similar to coming to New York they were already like sort of trained no, comedians no because and... at that point the improv improv Olympic West was already there oh, and, right and improv was more popular by then um so it wasn't as much like we've never seen this before. Like literally in New York, this is before. Really, the, we moved there as the internet was starting, so people aren't <laughs> watching stuff on YouTube. There's no long form on television, so that no one even seen this stuff. So it really was. You were bringing guns comp- to the new world. You know what I mean? Stuff. I prefer to think silk. But <laughs> <laughs> that shows your personality. That's chill. Yeah, I play a lot. Of, I've been playing a lot of GTA recently. Um. So it was. It wasn't as like wide-eyed. I've never seen this before. It was, more, and also we had more of a reputation of, and we're better at teaching it than we <laughs> were originally. We had, once we had sat down and really thought about, we got to make a curriculum. And you know, the first year it was kind of just like teach a class and whatever your style is and your opinion. But as it moved on, it was like, no, we all got to get on the same page about what all these words mean, what mm-hmm. these phrases mean, right? That curriculum eventually led to, oh, let's write a book. And that book took seven years to, to build. So something that we thought would take a year. <laughs> but once we got into it, it just it, we saw how difficult it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. Uh, yeah, I think like uh, I, I can imagine Torco has New York players and L.A. players play together pretty regularly. And I'm sure even though they've never met, they're totally on the same page simply because of the curriculum and the book. They say the same things. They know the same things. They've codified everything they've learned and how they've performed, which is great. It's like, you know, it's like a, a language that we speak together. Um, what uh, uh, Switching gears again a little bit, say, um, uh, do you watch much improv that you're not in lately? Not much? No, no. not lately. Um if let's say pulling back when, when you were a little more uh, watching a little bit more improv, mm-hmm. what's like the one thing that would always like the one thing you really? I know there's a million things. There's a whole book. <laughs> Maybe mm-hmm. there's one thing that used to like uh, personalize to you of like there's not enough of this. I want more of this. There's not enough of this. Yeah, or or, or, or that's or positively. Or there's a, that's great. There's so much of that, and I like that. That's mm-hmm. great. I can definitely point to a few things, and it seems to go in waves, but. When when we did openings in Chicago, they were they were they always started or when we started they started from a pattern game. You'd always get a word and go into a pattern game, and then that pattern game would lead you wherever. So, and then as my group, the family, started to rehearse and stuff, we started to experiment with more what's the word formatted ways of doing the opening like okay we'll definitely 
start with the pattern game, but then we'll always sprinkle it with character monologues. And then we'll, and then the next week it'll be like, and also let's like factoids will like come out. And if you know a fact, just say a fact. So we started, and then sometimes it was just completely organic. We wouldn't even start, we'd do the sound, start with singing a rap lyric or whatever. Like, we really started experimenting with openings. Whereas at one point it was like all pattern game. Mm-hmm. And then, and that's Chicago. Mm. So then in New York, my I think what happened was we were all like had our own pattern our pattern open or openings that we wanted to experiment with and i had in chicago i kind of skipped a step too when Mm. i was a teacher and director i there were different pattern game openings that i experimented with this group called mr blonde who was really great Mm. um and so when we got to new york and started teaching and teams started forming we all had our different pattern our saying pattern games i got different openings that we wanted to experiment with and then when the groups got their own identity and decide what they wanted to do they came up with their own and then they were really it was almost like written openings like the x-files opening or the <laughs> wu-tang opening like the wu-tang opening th- they were sounds great well that's where the swarm comes from right right um to me, they got too. There was too much thought about them, and they had lost all organic nature to them. Hmm. And then we scaled back. We're like, guys, we we can't. You know, we're going too far this direction. These are like written sketches that we're doing before the improv, and it's hmm. not creating because ultimately it needs to create ideas mm-hmm. and half ideas. So. And then, I don't know, I kind of lost track of how that evolved in New York. But in, in, in L.A., I went and saw some Herald Knights, and I just I, I felt like they don't even know what... This is a few years ago, but I was like, I felt like they don't even appreciate how a cool pattern game can be and how just starting and being organic can be. Like, they weren't to the X-Files thing I'm talking about, but they were to... We do character monologue, and they still are to a degree, and still, and it's that way in New York. Of we do this kind of opening, and sometimes I feel like that's good. I mean, if that's to the strength of their team, and they enjoy it, and they are able to pull ideas and half ideas, whatever floats your boat. But sometimes I think it's a shame if it if it if it puts you in this narrow space where you can't find creativity in the way you can in just a completely organic opening. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, and I always say this, is it bringing you ideas and half ideas? So every time I talk to a team, I'm like, what's your opening? And sometimes it's so complicated what they're like, well, we do this, <laughs> we do that, then we have to do this. Turn around. And I'm like, okay, does it give you ideas and half ideas? Because I hate openings. And this is what I hate. This is the reverse mm. what I'm talking about. Mm. When I see an opening, and no matter how entertaining it is, it doesn't produce scenes, or I'd have no idea how the scenes pertain to the opening. Right. And if I have no idea, and I'm paying attention, then my guess is the person who isn't initiating the scene has no idea either. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they're basically just doing organic scenes. And organic improv is fine, but you don't do an opening before an organic improv. Yeah, it's almost like a waste of time. At that point, 
it is literally a waste of time. <laughs> or you're cheating and you've just done the weird sketch, the funny sketch before the improv that didn't go well. <laughs> and I've seen that, and that's what would happen at the worst times. Is like they have this great opening, and you yeah. have all these expectations, and it just it goes nowhere because they didn't. It didn't work for. It didn't really do the work it was supposed to do. Right. So but, when there's like a sweet opening that you're involved with, let's say, and when you pull a premise from it. After you pull your premise and you get your premise out, it's clear, it's awesome, you're down to go. Are you thinking it all in your head? Like, oh, I need to explore, now I need to heighten, now I need to explore. Or are you just like, just doing the damn thing? You mean once we've established the unusual thing Mm -hmm. and we're on our if-then way? Is that what you're saying? That is. Uh, I think at this point it's more like riding a bike. I'm not thinking in those terms. It's I'm just doing it. But the most simplistic way to put it is I'm thinking, what fuel does this game need? Mm-hmm. What's the fuel? What's it need? The, the, the exploration is the justification. I'm just doing that on every line. Like I'm just trying to commit, play at the top of my intelligence, justify... Mm-hmm. I'm never going. I got to justify now. I'm just am. I just am doing that. It's more that I'm thinking. What does this game need? What makes this game go? Um, and you know, there's certain tricks that you learn. I'm lost. I'm going to go to my environment. In my environment, Mm -hmm. I bet I see some fuel for the game. But I don't, at this point, really think that anymore. I'm just kind of doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it gets to a point where it's like, I see no more fuel, you know, it's like, why isn't this thing being edited? Or right. or where, can I take this to a no, new location? Like, I'll do that in Improv for Humans. And it seems a little more natural to and I don't know why in Prime for Humans but just to immediately just take it to a new location and mm-hmm. like alright let's get out of here into a new location where it's gonna have this game will have more fuel right get well, going again it's the that cut is really fast when you're improvising an audio I imagine getting all the bodies on stage and reorienting <laughs> might make it more difficult on yeah stage. and I think it's more what I'm trying to express is it looks weird when you're in the scene and you cut to a new location <laughs> in live on stage it's to me it's not as weird audio wise when, mm. I, when I do it mm. like mm. it feels like it feels like the back line should have done that in right. the live stage um, it's not, just not a big deal either way <laughs> I liked how you explain so uh, uh, you sort of explained that exploration justification were kind of synonymous so when you're exploring you're essentially just justifying more and more is that is that yes uh, yeah, so That's you can almost say to, think about it. to say exploring is just justifying what just happened again, or or not again. Uh, I don't think it's just that, but that's a big part of it. To me, is a, a simpler way to put it is you're making it's you're making the absurdity smart. Like I always bristle when people go, um, "Upright Sisters Brigade, you guys were absurdist," and I don't know why I always. I feel that's insulting. Like, I feel like, and I know they don't mean it that way, but it's like, I feel like, I don't know, maybe I understand the word better than they do, but 
to me, absurd means weird without justification. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But you, you think of the heightening as the absurdity, and you think of exploration as the logic behind the absurdity that make that grounds it into the real world and allows you to keep watching the scene. Because hmm. scenes that are just absurd or humor that's just absurd, I I disengage after a while. I'm just like, whatever. <laughs> just weird for the sake of weird. Like it's like watching children play. It's like mm-hmm. okay. I mean, it's cute, but mm-hmm. uh, if you if you want me to watch more in a minute, I can't. <laughs> so I never wanted people to describe us as absurdist. You know, so. they, they would go. The, they're absurd, but smart are like as if they're two different, you know. Yeah. So it's like, huh? They're absurd, but it's okay, it's, it's, guys. This is one of those smart. words that people say and mean in different ways, right? Yeah. Like some people say it as an insulting thing, and some people say it as if that's the greatest thing to yeah, be absurd. True art. <laughs> so, like when you watch your daughter play, are you constantly urging her to justify? No, she didn't have to yet. That's great to be a baby and just do whatever you want. All right, tight. And so uh, for the that's un- why it looks like babies. That's, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Is like they're not justifying. They look like babies running around in crazy town. Right. You're like, I don't need to watch this. I definitely don't need to pay to watch it. Right. Well, you probably didn't if it's an improv show. So get hip. Uh, for the uninitiated, we're sitting with Matt Besser. Um, <laughs> Intro of it. I guess uh, front man of Improv for Humans. Um, UCB uh, frontman as well, and uh, I think that's about it. Really. Co-founder of Participate, co-founder of the UCB Theater, uh, Chicago, New York, LA. Yeah, yeah improv guru, master, Check the it. family, ASCAT. Check the website. Uh, various uh, directing, endless amounts of shows. Are and, we now uh, doing the intro to the show in the middle of the show? <laughs> we put it right in the middle. That's okay. why I like it. It's a middle trail because <laughs> I don't have a better word for it. <laughs> yeah, we figure we'll just start after the intro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, this whole time they're like, "Who is this guy?" <laughs> I don't know who this guy is. Something I want to ask you too about improv. I, I think improv's had a long. Because I remember you mentioned this too. Like you did, you've done two Askat specials, right? You did one on Bravo mm-hmm. and the one on the DVD. Yeah. And you mentioned you were. I've and heard that an one interview. Was on Comedy Central. Or uh, oh, the DVD on Comedy Central. Yeah. Right. And, and but you mentioned like you liked the Bravo one, but you weren't super happy with it. You were uh-huh. had a little more control with your the DVD or. I'd give, if I think, I think like in a month, you know, and I'll, my, I always give my wife a grade when I get home from ASCAT, you know. <laughs> oh, I thought you like were giving your wife a grade. Just like, I'll give her a grade for the show. No, she always gets an A. <laughs> oh, uh, um, and, I'm, and I try to be honest. I'm not just like A plus every time, you know. <laughs> But I also don't think I've failed in years and years and years. So yeah. I don't think I've done many F or D shows in years. That's, and, that's positive, and rarely a C. I'll just be honest. I think ASCAT usually goes pretty well. But I'm not really happy with B shows. And I think right. they'll happen one out of four shows, maybe. You know, I'm a math guy. I have to put everything in numbers. And that's not your fault. It's always some other guy. Who did that, oh, right? of course. <laughs> <laughs> the monologist was a, oh, the monologist wasn't great. Yeah. Talking about his acid trip. For the first time. Um, and I'll, yeah, I'll give my I'll, I'll give myself a grade too. I'll go. You know what? It was an A show, but I was kind of B tonight. Or <laughs> and I'll do the opposite. I'll go, I thought I was on, but the show in general. You know, I'll just be honest. I'm, I'm honest with her. That's I'd good. never say it to the rest of the cast. All right, oh, guys, that was a B minus. <laughs> Pack it up. Fuck you. <laughs> 
Um, wait, what is your original question, though? Oh, uh, oh, I actually never really got got to it. I guess you had the two ass cats who were happy with the DVD oh, yeah, version. Yeah, 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 oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Right. so I was going to give them grades. So <laughs> I think the Bravo one was a B. Mm-hmm. And I'm not happy with a B. I think it, no. it was an okay ass cat, and there were definitely some funny scenes in it. But I know how we can get. I know how we can be, and it never mm-hmm. got to that level. It never got to the real loose level Jesus. that that we can get to. So then, and part of the problem was, it seemed like there was so much at stake. Like it was going to be on TV, and we wanted yeah. to prove that. Long form could be on TV, so we were nervous, like we never are mm-hmm. doing Ask Cat. And also, we filmed it in a little studio. You know what? It, I think it might even be on the street. It's like right around here, mm-hmm. and, but it doesn't matter. But anyway, mm-hmm. it was in this little New York studio, and there was an audience, but they were really separated from us. I don't know if you can tell that, mm-hmm. but there's like a moat for the cameraman, basically. Huh had this big space which i guess they needed and we weren't used to having the audience so far away from us so that was weird it it just it felt weird because we had always done it in one of our spaces our our place we felt really comfortable and now the bright lights were on Mm -hmm. we were nervous we weren't like i i i i nervous (laughs) but definitely not like how comfortable we are when right. we right. do ask rock and roll well i mean you're so yeah. the, so i'll give that one a beat the one and then we're like the next one we got to do it in our theater like but we got to just make it work so we shot that one in the la theater and it, the, the audience is right there and it's great and i think it looks better because of that i don't think that was that was an A minus. I'd give it. Like mm. I'd say, the energy was definitely looser. I still think we were a little bit uptight, um, and maybe even the other performers more than UCB. Like I think this was our second taping, and I think everyone else is probably new. And they did great, but mm. just in general, it's weird. I mean, even when you do, when you, obviously, when you do anything on TV or taped, the stakes get raised, and you yep. you, you feel. I feel if it could have been a you know a ten episode twenty episode TV show and you get into the run of it, people would start to get comfortable mm-hmm. and it would just be like it is on stage. Improv for humans, I feel the same way. Everyone would come in and go, "Oh, this is weird doing it without an audience. People aren't laughing. It's audio." They all thought it would be weird, but now they don't. Th- I'm sure they don't think about it at all, and they're mm-hmm. totally at ease. And if you listen to the first ones, not as good as. First six months, not as good as second six months. Mm. First year, not as good as second year. I really think the show, since I think the last nine months been particularly good. And I think yeah. it's because I've gotten better at it. I know how it flows. And my performers have done it all, you know, three, four, five times now. They're all great at it and are really comfortable at it. So unfortunately, that's part of putting something on tape is sometimes that's the first time you've done it. And the stakes of it work against you. That's unfortunate. So I hope we can do another Ask Cat soon because I think I would feel more comfortable and I think the other guys would too. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, I remember I was like, oh man, I really want to get some video of me improvising for my reel. So I was like, fuck, I'm just going to bring a camera. It was to a show that we did together, Stefan. And I was like, great, I'm just going to put it in the back. I'm going to record it. It's going to be sweet. And it was such a garbage show. It was like so bad. I think it's because I knew in my head that 
this the camera was there Mm -hmm. so i started voice recording all of my shows just as like a habit and i have like some great recordings of some really good shows that i'm like stoked about yeah i was gonna say on top of that which we're getting with 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 the ascats um uh, it, it, it seems like there's with this pot with improv for humans, which I loved one of my favorite podcasts. It seems like you took improv and now turned it into product that people can have on them. Like it's always going to live shows is great, but I know Sean Conroy said has this phrase. Maybe you got it from someone, but it says sometimes improv feels like throwing diamonds in the ocean. <laughs> it's like all these great things, and only 100 or 150 people will see it in the moment. Right. But 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 the cool thing about like filming the Ascat DVDs or improv for humans, it seems like so many times people try to turn improv into product like that, and mm-hmm. it never works. But to me, it seems like this is this is working. Do you feel that? Yeah, way? I do, and I don't. Th- and I like long form wise have there i don't even know of any other instances um i can list dozens and dozens of short form improv shows through the years that whose line's the only one that survived but there's Mm. been a lot of tries and i've been in a lot of pitches and we wanted we thought for a while nbc was gonna have us on late night um Mm. and we thought we were very close to that happening so through the years, it, it kind of goes in waves, just like Sketch does, of how for it or against it the industry is. I'm out pitching. I think improv is more positive now, and I think people, through the success of our theater and other theaters, see how improv is you know, as popular stand-up now, and they are interested in hearing again. How can we do this? Right. Their, their fear... I don't think is the quality. I think they think it needs bells and whistles. If mm. you've seen any of these shows on recently, yeah, they're, they're absurd, insane. absurd with in the negative use of absurd yeah. with bells <laughs> and whistles. They're a bunch of kids having a great time at a party. And unfortunately, when they fail, some people in industry will go, oh, improv doesn't work on TV. And you're like, oh my God, please don't compare that to what we're doing. It's such apples and oranges to even share the same word. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think there's a lot of that too, like in the regional, um, sort of in the regional theater circuit where like uh, I'll go to smaller towns and be like, oh, we tried long form. Long form didn't work here. We'll do short form. And I'm like, no, no, long form works fine. You're just not doing it right. <laughs> Or you haven't done it enough just to think that we can do the Herald once and it didn't work well. Let's go back. That's just weak. (laughs) Right. I mean, (laughs) and that's why it's easier in a big city because there's something before you. You know, like while I'm sucking, there's a group before me that's or after me that's not going to suck. Right. And that's the benefit of doing a theater because otherwise you're just some group renting a, a weird space and. Right. Counting to be good from the get go. How's that going to happen? <laughs> yeah. You know? They didn't have improv for humans to listen to. <laughs> now, now with a product like that, it reaches out to so many places where they can't get inspired. You know, in New York and Chicago, in Chicago, you were inspired by the groups before you, right? Like, uh, question. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, in New York, same thing. People were inspired by the swarm and so forth. Uh, if people had don't just have that. come to see us before we were good without that group, they would have gone, this is awful. Yeah, um, this, and uh, improv sucks. Yeah, there's and like there's a, a lot weird... of people out there, that's what they believe about improv, because mm-hmm. the first show they saw sucked. Yeah, yeah, it's such a weird connotation with improv when I tell people I do it. You know, A lot of them think it's very corny, you know, very gimmicky, because they've only seen short form. 
Um, yeah, they probably everyone sees it in college these days, and most colleges have a short form group, so that's mm-hmm. the first experience they have with it. Right. Were you ever on a short form team? Fuck no. <laughs> I heard your last episode. I heard I heard I think in your last episode you played how long it took for them to take the suggestion, right? It wasn't <laughs> how long it was as much as like how re- how many bells and whistles they were putting. Right. I keep right. saying that phrase, but yeah, it was yeah. like I don't know, I picture substitute it, yeah. S for K and only speak backwards and <laughs> the audience member leads you around. Like so many things it's like I would feel re- I'd feel like a ridiculous puppet. I'd feel like a clown at a children's birthday party that everyone's squeezing my nose. I just like, yeah, everyone's laughing, but I'm not having fun. I'm just in a dumb costume allowing children to squeeze my nose. Like I have n- this isn't satisfying on any level. Right. Well, you're in for a treat. Because we're about to do some short form right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, do you do you feel that there will be because um, with Improv for Humans and like I said, the the uh, with uh, really really now we live in a world where medium is just a, in everyone's hands now. They can like or or a product they can make product. The internet can reach everything out. I remember one episode you had uh, someone request horses, right? Or wild wild horses, I think. The someone requested team, that, yeah. Over social media, right? Yeah. Um, so do you think there's... They gonna, lived in like Nevada or something. Yeah, yeah. In the middle, yeah. Uh, which is super cool. Like that's never... Uh, on our on this podcast, we get guests. So we get requests from people that live in like Virginia and things like mm-hmm. that. Like that is so cool. Like, uh, you know, improv is slowly starting to make its way out onto, um, you know, yeah. media platforms and things like that. Yeah. You, uh, how do you do? You think that'll shift things in any way? Yeah, without question. I mean, with mm-hmm. with, I make a little bit of money from Improv for Humans. Mm-hmm. You know, um, if I wanted to do the, all the work of it, I could probably make. If I wanted to do everything, like right. tape it, engineer it, edit it deal with the square space mm-hmm. distribute i could probably make a living at it i don't want to do that stuff so I'm, <laughs> so i'm at a network and they do that but then they take the money to do that so i only make not at all enough to even mm. come close to living on hmm. but it's growing and who knows if if i could that would be a dream the way adam carolla or or mark Marin are very very few other guys probably are making a nice living off of podcasting. Right. But just the fact that there are a few of them, that's great. And it can only get more popular. And it's so easy to do. Versus making videos, you know, that's kind of easy to do. But it takes a lot of effort to make a good-looking, funny video. It takes much more effort to do that than to make a funny hour and a half of improv for humans. Yeah, especially if you're improvising the video like you do improv for humans, I imagine that. Well, whatever. Any making a video just at all, just making a shitty video is a pain in the ass. Mm. Like it's just mm-hmm. you got to get a location, you got to get props, you got to get everybody there. You got right. It's such a commitment that you can't crank it out the way you can a podcast. And I don't and the podcast isn't shitty. It's still quality. It's just much since it is just audio. It's just much easier to get out there. Yeah, less factors. Well, uh, I do want to ask you since we got you about a little bit more about improv philosophy. If that's chill. All right. 
Um, stop fucking around talking about football. <laughs> no, I'll talk football. Have okay. you been watching the World Cup at all? God, you know that's not know. football, bro. It's well, it's either or soccer, football. Football is different. I know, but I just thought I'd go into that segue. <laughs> all right, shoot. All right, so um, can you summarize uh, a basic definition of game? Uh, if you want me to summarize a basic definition of game, I'd say. What's funny about the scene? Hmm. Cool. Now I always ask people, what do you think was, if, if you could say in a sentence, what's ultimately funny about the scene? Well, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, that's the game. So everything you do needs to feed into continuing to make the scene funny for that reason. Mm-hmm. And that's simple to say. It's like, yeah, well, obviously. But when people get up there, some to me, when they're not good at that, they're just being funny for a dozen different reasons. It's right. like, all right, well, what you did, that's funny, but that's more like a funny character trait or it's a, it's a non sequitur or it's a reference. I mean, there's a million reasons the audience could laugh and it not be on game. <laughs> so it has to be worthy of exploring. Because like, if it is just a Harry Potter reference that they laugh at, I mean... Is that what you're going but to But even explore? to say worthy of exploring, like, if it's not on game, it just has to be on game. Like, I don't know what that means, worthy of exploring. Like, that sounds more like what I'm worrying about when I'm doing organic improv. When you just start from a suggestion and we're yes-anding and there's no unusual thing yet, that's what I'm waiting to see. What's going to be worthy of exploring? Mm-hmm. That's another way of saying what's the unusual thing going to be. Mm-hmm. But once I found the unusual thing, I already know it's worthy of exploring. I mean, that's not even in my head anymore. It's if this unusual thing is true, then what else is true? So there's this one unusual thing. So what is going to keep that ball in the air, that unusual thing? How can I heighten it? Now that I've heightened it, how can I explore it? Now that I've explored it, how can I heighten it? Mm-hmm. But Again, but you are saying there are isolated things that are funny. That's fine, but leave that be. Uh, uh, yeah, and I do it too. Repeatable. Sometimes you do that word. There's that was jokes. So there's jokes. The way I use right. the word, and I do it. I will do jokes, but <laughs> I will not allow the scene or encourage the scene to then go off the rails exploring that joke. And I think when you're working with people who are on the same page, they get that. They know what things are like. I'm going to say this, and it's briefly funny. It's not on game, but let's not focus on it. And it drives me crazy when people do get off, and that's what it becomes. If if it's if it's uh, you know has less to do once again with where we came from, and it just seems like this is just some silly thing that's going to run out of steam and three or four exchanges, and meanwhile we lost all the potential of that game we were on. Because if you go off for like five exchanges, it always feels like you're forcing it when you get it back on track. It's like, all right, anyway, guys, back to that. <laughs> but there's also things that can be sub-games, too. That are, you're allowed to repeat maybe once or twice as long as it doesn't sacrifice the greater game, right? Yep, and that's the balance of a good ensemble of how many, much you can do that without wrecking the scene. Cool. And that, so that comes from a group mind that comes from knowing each other. Is it harder or that just comes from just uh, being disciplined in your scene work? I think some people could not have worked if they're disciplined enough, could do it without having ever worked with someone. I'd say that's not most people though. I'd say most people (laughs) when they're in front of a live audience, 
want them to laugh at them. So, and I know some really funny guys who it bugs me to improvise with them because they'll just, when the laughs start, (laughs) they're just off on their own and they're not good ensemble players when they do that. You know, Chris Farley, funny guy. I don't know if I want to be in his ensemble. Andy Dick, funny guy. I don't know if I want to be in his ensemble because it's going to be all about him you know Mm. so it's the difference between i'm funny and this is funny i'm sorry the the difference is between i'm funny the performer and this is funny this idea it's not i'm as much as like dude (laughs) we we already had a game going on and then you made the game about how silly your name is like that one in particular Ooh. And I've seen that over and over again. Like, just <laughs> someone comes in and they're like, I'm Mr. Applebottom, and everybody laughs. And it's like, okay. Really? Your name's Applebottom? And it's like, really? We're going to get off? <laughs> it's not that crazy of a name. Or, <laughs> well, people have nutty names all the time. It's their names. They come yeah. from every, there's millions of different roots and where people come from. You just leave it be. You don't call it out. You just move on to what you need. To, a huge you know? But when the audience laughs, that encourages them to do. Or, or they'll come on with a funny walk. Like, it doesn't... And you know they've done it before. You're like, wow, you don't really care that we're creating something together. You just want the audience to love you. <laughs> right, right. Good job, dude. <laughs> and, of course, that comes from fear, right? The fear in being in front of an audience. Or, like... Uh, I guess. Or just being selfish. Just being Why selfish. Why can't we just call it what it is? <laughs> yeah. It's just like... Because I don't... Fear, I don't think, no. I'd, no. I'd, I'd, I would blame that more to the stand-ups who do ass cat monologues and end up doing their material it's like they were fearful uh, of going out on a limb and telling some story they haven't told before right and i'll see that a lot of the time and that's from really good ones too and you're like dude just don't don't feel you have to kill like you kill at the improv the laugh factory you can mm-hmm. just tell a story mm-hmm. yeah I, I feel like uh the the performers like state while they're performing is like a uh, huge like you mentioned uh, the stand up that has a lot of fear so they do their own material. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like your you your like emotional state is at a stasis now when you perform? Has it always been like that? I don't know what you mean. Like is that a stasis? Yeah. Like do you feel relaxed when you do it? Or do you have any of those old? I do it to relax. If anything. Um, <laughs> I mean, uh, you mocked my improv schedule. I'm an old man, and I think uh, two shows a week's pretty pretty big. But I, I I do it the way I would do pickup basketball, uh, which I don't do. I do it the way I play I play tennis. I guess I do it for fun. Um, because you know I feel I don't do it to learn anymore, mm-hmm. and. I always say at the UCB, you're either there to learn, you're there to hone, or you're there to have fun. And if you're not doing any of those things, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know what you'd be doing. Um, so I'm not really learning or honing anymore. I mean, uh, you plateau at some point where you're like, okay, I get it. It's, it's easy now. Mm. And then it just becomes fun. So... I'm showing up only to have fun. <laughs> My friends are there, and I really enjoy it. I enjoy playing off the audience. And it's uh, so at some point it was being used to create material for Upright Citizens Brigade, so it was it was a literal tool for us. Mm. But uh, but now it's just something I do on the weekend. And you, then Improv for Humans, I guess, is a job to a degree, but it really is a fun job. 
Do you use it? Do you still use it as a tool for other projects and things like that? Mm. Question. You know, honestly, not. I don't think so. I used to record them and or right after the show, jot down the stuff. These days, I'm thinking in not in sketch terms, more in like movies I'm working on or sitcoms I'm working on. And it, it doesn't produce those kinds of ideas as much. Mm-hmm. Do you use it uh, for your, like when you're acting? Does improv help you? Like uh, when you take that, when you're doing um, with a script, is the stuff you've, does the performing you've done with improv, is that tool wise uh, affect you? I think if anything, the reason I'm get hired most of the time is for my improv. Cause mm. not your good looks. No, and not my acting ability. I mean, I think I can act well, but, you know, in auditions, it's so hit or miss whether you fit into what was in the writer's brain. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think it's people knowing my reputation, knowing he's going to be able to improvise with the script and be mm-hmm. on game, whether they say that term or not. Because you'll see people improvising, but they're not going with the intent of where the script is going. So they're being funny. I always can tell when actors improvise. It usually happens at the end of a scene in movies, <laughs> and they're not improvisers, and they just do something that's like it has to do with like a prop on the table or something. Yeah, it has nothing to do. It's not a heighten of the game they're already playing. It almost is like let's keep the camera rolling, <laughs> see if Robert Redford can say something funny here at the end. <laughs> Nails yeah. it every time, I'm sure. <laughs> but yeah, because it's like a, almost like a shiny thing. It's not like um, with the main comedic idea of the scene. It's just like a, the equivalent of a funny name game or mm-hmm. like a prop game. So that's that's fucking cool. Is it time? Is it time for you and me to try to do this? Yeah, uh, I have a quick question. What what um, what are the like uh, when I say premise and like pulling a premise? I imagine in my head that there's a couple things that go into it. There's you kind of have to state generally what the base reality is, like what tone are we playing with, uh, kind of what my point of view is, and possibly an unusual thing. I don't know. I'm going to throw it over to you to finish that. I wouldn't use any of those phrases. Have you used read our book? Yes, I have. Okay, so you know we say base reality is what? The who, what, where. Right. Mm-hmm. So your first line needs to communicate the base reality. I don't know what you mean by tone. I don't know what you mean by... Uh, what was the other thing you said? Uh, point of view. I don't know what you mean by... Po- I, I'd re- And this is why we wrote a book, because we're like, you can only have so many words right. <laughs> and phrases in your brain when we do start. So I'm not going to... So me, if you're asking me, I'm not going to let it, you get away with you adding your own <laughs> words or words from your current coach or teacher or, or your favorite one. I just got to go with mine. That's chill. And I'm just going to say to you, no, point of view is not in my head. Tone is never in my head. That's like, what's the tone of my sitcom or my movie going to be maybe to myself? Okay. How am I going to direct it? What's that tone? But I guess that's not in my head. And a lot of things, my emotion, what's my relationship to the other person? That's not in my head. Mm-hmm. All, all that's in my head is, is who, what, if I'm initiating... That's what you're asking me. If I'm initiating it, I need to show my partner in my first line who we are to each other, what are we doing here, and where are we? And sometimes you can even get away with not saying where, but usually at least have to tell them the who and the what. 
Um, and usually the wear is just natural. You're like, we're obviously in a hospital if you're a doctor. Doctor's mm. um, but uh, so who, what, where, and then like I was saying earlier, I have to show them from where in the opening I'm coming from. The easiest opening for that is a monologue. That's why I do it. It's easy. I don't have to rehearse with every, all the performers. Other openings are, get more and more difficult. Also more impressive thereby. The monologue's probably the least impressive of all the openings. Big deal. So I'm telling a memory. How hard is that? Like we were saying at the beginning of the podcast, well, some people are really awesome at it. <laughs> and they're great storytellers. But let's give them their due and realize that's not most of the monologues you hear. Most of them are just good stories. Not great, but good stories and good enough for good improv. So when I say that's what I do, I'm also trying to say, I don't think it's impressive though, as far as openings go, but that's why I do it. Cause it's the, it's the easiest. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have to think what, what do I, what did I find funny that they probably thought was funny too? That's another key. I can't think of something from the monologue and go, that makes me think of. And the second thing is funny for something that wasn't from the monologue. Mm-hmm. Like he's he mentions a detail which is how big a burrito was, and that makes me think of something. Oh yeah, I was eating burritos the other day, and they were really rancid, and I got food poisoning. But it has nothing to do with that. It was a big burrito, and then I start a scene about getting food poisoning from a burrito, and the other person, my partner's looking at me like, "What? There was nothing about food poisoning in the monologue." Mm-hmm. What? Where is this coming from? Because I can't read your mind, and I wasn't there with you. We only can hear the story mutually together and agree that, yeah, that is funny how there are those really big burritos. They're so big, you, you can't eat the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And we both, and I can start a scene directly on that, or I can start something that's analogous to that or like that. But whatever it is, whether it's... The further away I get from the real thing, the more I have to clue in my partner to where I'm coming from. Because I want them to know, this is what I thought was funny from the monologue. This is where I think we can go. Otherwise, my partner, he's doing an organic scene because he doesn't know what the unusual thing is. I haven't presented it to him. So he's like, I don't know. He's doing organic improv and you're doing premise improv. Because he's like, you better show me the unusual thing. You know what happens usually? You think something else is the unusual thing that you're not, you weren't presenting, and now you guys are totally lost because you didn't really use the opening. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, how would you pull a premise from that idea of the burrito being too large? Would you start? Well, that with- wasn't a story. <laughs> that was a detail <laughs> well, in a non-existent story. Okay. Can I can I ask something yeah. else on top of that? So, I've also uh, heard this: like uh, you have uh, the stories, and then you say, "Oh, that's a funny idea." You can either hit it on the head, mm-hmm. you can analogize it, or you can heighten it, right? You can bring it to a heightened mm-hmm. circumstance. Mm-hmm. Those are like the three sort of things you can do with no idea, right? Mm-hmm. How do you know which one you want to do? Is there sort of, uh, that just comes with experience, or that's a, that would be perfect if I hit the nail right on the head? Or that, you know what, I'm going to take well, them to Well, sometimes it. it feeds, it makes the game even, or what I thought was funny about it, even clearer. That's the best reason to use something besides what was said in the story, as if, well, what... It'd be, it'd be better if we had a story to actually talk about here. Should, but, should uh, we? Should we do that? Is that the, well, let's let's do, that. do it. All right, let's just do it. I'm let's just fucking do crap it. my pants. <laughs> All right, I'm going to take a word. Uh, I have a suggestion by hat because me a word. The word is machine. 
Now, Brad, either you and I will say a story based on machine. Well, machine uh, makes me think of recently. Uh, I've been broke, so I go What's to new, bro? <laughs> I go and I take a bunch of uh, aluminum cans I found in my house. I have a recycling bin, and I take it down to the recycling sort of machine down by my grocery store. I put in a bunch of aluminum, nickel, nickel can, nickel can, nickel can. I've got a trash bag full of beer cans and soda cans and whatnot, two liters. So I go to my key foods 10 blocks down where I live, and I go to this mach- these uh, returning machines that I've seen for so the three years I've lived there. It gives me a receipt, and then I take it and it gives me cash. Uh, however, in my neighborhood, there's sort of kind of a mafia of people that go around and take uh, uh, bottles and cans out of my trash. I wake up every morning at 5 a.m. here in Rustling, going through my trash and taking all my cans and my, my aluminum, my bottles. So who do I run into in these machines? Those are the same individuals that are going through my trash. Now, I've got my own uh, bag of uh, recyclables I'm bringing with me. So I go to the machine, and then they stand in my way. <laughs> and then they're just like, uh, and they speak uh, Chinese. These are Chinese women. They don't speak English. I don't speak Chinese. Uh, and they're saying things to me in fluent Chinese. <laughs> and I'm like, I definitely don't understand what you're saying. I am a fat, white, blue-eyed devil. I don't understand a word you're saying. Uh, excuse me. I'd like to return this can, please. And they're just saying, oh, give it to us. They're, put it in our hands. We'll put it in here for you. And then uh, I... I uh, I got to the point where I was always yelling at them, and they didn't give a shit that I was <laughs> They couldn't have given a flying fuck that I was irritated and yelling at them. I even put my back to them, and they just turned around and put themselves in front of me <laughs> giving a shit. Like, I couldn't have been clear about how I wanted them to be away so I can do this by myself. So I go into the grocery store and hide from these old women for a few minutes <laughs> to leave, uh, which they did. And I go outside, and I finally put the can in the machine, and every second can malfunction. I had to go inside and get the security guard. And he kept having to come outside and fix it. And every time I was like, oh, there's something wrong with let me. Oh, you can't keep doing this. I'm like, buddy, I'm just putting the cans in the machine. I don't know. And he would, he would always leave immediately. I'd put two more cans. It would just break again. Boom. Broken. And I keep having to run. And I'm like, buddy, the machine. Anyway, this took 45 minutes of me back and forthing it for a grand total of $2.00. And 40 cents. Oh, I went inside, I cashed it, I bought my hot dogs, and I went home. Oh, just a sad story. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's the life, dude. Okay. This is what I think we should do. I think you should initiate three scenes. You should just do the first line of three different scenes right now. And okay. In this case, I wouldn't have him be the initiator ever because he right. told the story. right. So, you come to me on the day of my daughter's birth to have me do a favor for you? You need cans? Uh, yes. Uh, uh, can father, I need cans. Um, uh, uh, the store has been seeing troubled times, and we need, uh, we, need, we need a little bit of a bailout. Things aren't what they've been to. Boom, first one in the bank. <laughs> do you want anyone to keep doing the scene? <laughs> Normally, it's the coach or director who stops the scene, not the proud member of the scene screaming, boom, that one in the bag. Oh, man. I would want you out of my ensemble immediately. Um, No, but I thought that was clear. So where was he coming from? What did he find funny? What was that... What, well, I, which part did he find funny? I said the can recyclers were like a mafia. Okay, there you one. go. That was an easy one. Let's mm-hmm. do another one. 
and this time I will stop the scene. <laughs> Please okay. Step. All right. You sure? Okay. We are gathered here today on the 54th Street Safeway uh, to watch the competition between the fat man and the little Chinese woman trying to get a can into the receptacle. I'm here with my uh, my co-commentator, Jeff Briggles. Jeff? Uh, hi. Uh, thank you very much, Dan Rydell. It's a second annual event, and we're super excited. Yeah, I couldn't be more excited, really. We're dealing with two absolute legends here. Uh, this fat man has been poor for quite a long time. He comes here regularly. He's definitely uh, regular here at this machine. He's fearless. He's ready to go. However, he's facing a hardened veteran who's been doing this several years longer, and she has never lost a competition. She really okay, has. Okay, great. So that was obvious which where that came from. Where did he come from? <laughs> I said uh, they... Uh, I didn't really understand. I was... Uh, uh, a fat, white-eyed devil uh, returning uh, cans to the machine uh, for the, f- and they uh, were. Hold on, hold on. You see, that's a good so, yeah, example, though, right. because you're not exactly focused. Uh, no. So give me another <laughs> one. And that was a detail that he used, but that wasn't what you guys were focused on. So in another sentence, what was the game, or what was he? What did he find funny from the opening? Uh, that we were competing at the machine. We yes. were competing for the use of the machine. Yes. And he made that clear by making it into a sport. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and that's and that's key. And it's interesting because you did know you did know where he was coming from, but you weren't good at expressing that right away. Right, I, yeah. So that might be a problem in a herald in a second beat if you, and that happens all the time. You guys know that. The first beat will go fine. You're like, yeah, that was great. And then you start the second beat and you're like, wait a minute, what happened? That wasn't as fun and not easy at all. Because usually you focused on the wrong detail or you weren't good at summing up what was funny about it. And that's how you have to start that second beat. Is what? Okay, why was that funny? What ultimately? Why was that whole thing funny? Because if you weren't clear on the game, sometimes you're just in it. And you're just playing top of your intelligence. And by the way, that is the best thing to do. If you don't know what the game is, just play at the top of your intelligence. Just commit to being real and write it out. You know. And then sometimes you just or you just fall into it, and you can't sum up what you're doing, but you're doing it. That second beat, boy, you need to know. Because if he <laughs> takes it to an analogous situation, you're going to be completely lost if you can't sum up what was funny about it. Or you're just organically improvising again. You're like, wow, I'm in the second beat and I'm still trying to find the game, which you shouldn't have to do. You should already know it and be comfortable with it and be able, and it should be even easier because now you had a chance to go, okay, we know what the game is now. Now let's put it in a location or a scenario where it's really going to flourish. Mm-hmm. And that's why we talk about that instead of raising the stakes. Just put mm-hmm. it in another great place. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do one more quick one, real quick. Okay. No? Okay. Maybe we do. So that was, uh, thank you very much for that. That was, um, that was uh, taking it and, and making it flourish elsewhere. That was heightening it, essentially, right? And the first one was uh, hitting it right on the head. No, what was the first one again? Remind me, Brad. Oh, uh, the can mop. Oh, that was that was that was also heightening it a little bit, right? Yeah, a little bit. Can we maybe do one real quick where where you either hit one right on the head or you analogize it? 
Let me try that. Uh, just do another one. Or just All do another right, one. Sorry about that. Don't put him too much on the spot. Yeah, sorry, 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 sorry. Hey, kid, I uh, I wanted to give you, uh, give you a gift card for your birthday. I didn't have enough time, so uh, here's a here's a big old bag of cans for you. Oh, Happy s- birthday. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, this is like $20 worth of cans. Perfect. Okay, so what did he think's funny? Uh, that cans is currency. I use Great, it to make that's money. it. Boom. That's it. Well, and that would be an easy one for a lot of beats. You know, that's a one that I don't want to see these two guys in the next one. No. I want to see... International currency know, exchanges. Sure. Anywhere. There's so many different places. Uh, yeah, anyway. Cool. Yeah. Speaking <laughs> of... I, uh, oh, go ahead. Can I ask one quick question, too? That's a big thing I have. That second thing perfectly exposed my problem when I'm on the back line of that Herald. I have a problem sometimes really verbalizing what the game was because I'm very much moment to moment. Uh, or, or shall I say, I do the play at the top of my intelligence and I realize my bird's eye view. Um, I screw myself over a little bit. And I can't verbalize it super clearly. Do you have any way um, to, like, is, what's that a symptom of? Is there a way uh, uh, or techniques or anything used to make me, I can improve myself on that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, after every show, well, while you're watching someone else's show, that's what you should be doing in your head. You should be going, what's the game? And you can't say the game. I'm a real bastard as a teacher about when someone, I say, what's the game? And it takes them a paragraph to explain. I'm like, that's too many words to explain what the game is. you got to explain it in a sentence. Why? Because when you initiate, you're saying a sentence. You're not saying a paragraph. <laughs> right. So if you can't sum it up in a sentence, you're lost. And I'm going to be lost. Right. So, and different people have it doesn't mean you're less funny. You're just, your brain doesn't work that way yet. And you can right. train it to, so you can watch, watch SNL, uh, uh, watch ECB season three DVD coming out today. <laughs> yeah. Folks. No way. Really? No, it is. Oh, actually, sweet. you know what? In a, uh, in a similar note, I actually just got the DVD and I was wondering if like, maybe you could oh, yeah. go back to my place and like watch it. Yeah. Maybe. Could you watch it with us? That'd be great. Maybe we get some live commentary. I never deny, guys, but this is my first denial ever. No <laughs> fucking way. I'm going home with you guys in any well, way. I'm just in Brooklyn. Creepy really no? apartments. It's not as creepy as it used to be. We shaked them. We made it in the little Here, let me, let me answer your question, though. So you watch Sketch. At the end of the Sketch, just say in a definitive sentence, write it down. And then write it down again and go, is there a better way to put it? Is there even better way to put it? Like, that really nails it. Because you didn't nail it the first time. Like, White Devil, that was the wrong thing to focus on. That would have, in your second bit, it would have been some racist bit. And you'd be going, ugh, what happened? Like, Mm. we got rid of the fun Olympics of can recycling, you know? It'd Mm. be finding out what the next event like that is instead of following the White Devil thing. Like, that was a whole other scene. Yeah, the White white Devil. Mm Mm-hmm. So... You don't want to hang out with us afterwards? <laughs> All right. Perfect. That's been Improv Noise. Thank you very much to our guest, Mr. Matt Besser. Thanks, guys. Thank you to my co-host, Mr. Brad Kula. I've been Stefan Schutter, and our sound engineer, Joe Leonardo. Hey, guys, keep making it up. Peace out. See you. See ya.
Release date time at the pit Did a show at IOS Yo, that was the shit Callbacks for Boom Chicago But didn't get it Amsterdam, hell yes Cruise ship, forget it Play with Susan Messick Besser gave me hits of chronic Saw TJ and Dave way before he hit the Sonic Ray Hell to the festivals Hit in every city Yeah, I'll be at Del Close But the slot I got is pretty shitty Ask at 3000 Please uh, help us out. Uh, find us on iTunes. Leave a review. Also, check into www.improvnoise.com. Also, uh, check us out on Facebook.com/improvnoise. Twitter. Follow us on Twitter. Hey, live, you can see-